the Passover feast that Jesus would share with his disciples that night would not have been the normal Passover feast. Wouldn't have been the normal Seder supper that each year they would gather together and remember God's provision. They had done, his disciples had done exactly what their rabbi, Jesus, told them to do. He said, go into Jerusalem and go to a house, a specific house, and go to the upper room. And they had done that. And the table probably would have been set. Things would have been prepared. It would have seemed like it was going to be Passover as usual. But what they didn't realize, what they didn't know, is that Jesus, during this Passover meal, would be sharing some information with them that would have shocked his disciples. It would have mortified a few of them. It would have been very disturbing, very unsettling, very troubling for a few of them. He had indicated it before, but this time much more clearly, much more directly with his disciples, with his closest followers. You see, he would be leaving them. He would be leaving them. That was the information that he had shared with his disciples that night. And I can't imagine their feeling. Some of these men had left everything. They had left their careers. They had left their families. They had disappointed friends. Many would have left fortunes behind to follow this one. And now at this Passover, just three years into Jesus' ministry, he tells them that he is going to be leaving them. How could this be? And to make matters worse, that same evening, just a few breaths later, he would be sharing with them that one of them was going to betray him. The Gospel of John shares a particularly awkward moment with those 12 disciples as they looked around the table at each other as if to say, it's not going to be me, is it going to be you? And they looked around the table and Jesus finally revealed that it would be Judas who would betray him. And Judas got up, left the table, and walked out of that upper room, leaving just the 12 of them, Jesus and now 11 of his disciples. But to make matters worse, Jesus communicated something else. Not only would he be leaving them, which he had kind of given them an indication of that before, but he would be leaving soon. His time to leave them is imminent. It's now. That would have troubled them even further. To make matters worse, boy, this Passover meal was going bad for these disciples. To make matters worse, he now told them that there was going to be one of them who would deny him. They probably looked around the table once again and wondered who would it be. And he revealed that it was one of his closest followers, Peter, who would be the one that would deny him. I mean, these men understood that at some point in time, Jesus would be leaving them, but they didn't think it would be now. I mean, he's only three years into his ministries. ministry. Things were just starting. I'm sure they didn't think it would be this way. I mean, think about it. Out of the 12, two of them, Jesus now revealed, would be complicit in his death. It was troubling. It was disturbing. Some of them probably would be weeping. You know, it's interesting. Jesus always knows when we're troubled, doesn't he? 
He always knows when we're concerned about something. He always knows when we're bothered by something. And that night as they were in the middle of this Passover meal and he had just shared this troubling information that he would be leaving and that two of them would be complicit in his leaving, he looked around the room and he looked at their faces and he looked in their eyes and Jesus saw that his disciples, these 12 men, were troubled. Look at what John 14, 2 through 7 tells us, he said. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back. And I will take you to be with me so that where I am, you also will be. He said, you know the place where I am going. Jesus, the way to the Father. And Thomas interrupts him. The skeptic, the doubter, interrupts and he says this, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he concludes that statement by saying the most shocking part of that, no one comes to the Father except through me. Father God, today, help us to understand all that you meant when you made that statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Holy Spirit, lead us into wisdom and into understanding. And God, may those words pierce our hearts. God, may they infiltrate our lives. And God, may you work on the hearts of those who are gathered here today. God, I pray for those who may have walked in this room and they don't know you as their Savior. God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that today is their day of salvation. And God, I pray for the Christ follower who walked in here and they may have had some doubts, maybe even over these past few weeks, about whether or not you in fact were the way to heaven. God, I pray that you would help galvanize their faith, anchor it, God. And God, I pray for those of us who are Christ followers and we've gotten a little bit lazy in our faith. God, I pray that you would help reaffirm the fact that you are in fact the way to heaven. God, I pray for those who walked in here today and they are weary and they are tired and they are troubled. Maybe they've had bad news just like your disciples had. Maybe it's been recent. God, I pray for a special bit of power, a special bit of understanding, a special bit of strength to be able to focus on what you have today. Lead us into all understanding of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. We're in week two of this series called I Am. We're leading up to Easter, and we're taking a look at four of about eight statements that Jesus made about himself. He would say, I am, and that was followed by a statement of revealing a little bit about God and a little bit about Jesus and a little bit about mankind. And so we're taking a look at these statements, not in any particular order, but today we want to consider what it means and how we can respond when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I wanted you to have context of why Jesus made this particular statement. And it would have been shocking. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I wanted you to have context and understand that because I want you to capture this. Jesus made that statement at a point when his disciples were troubled. 
He was trying to comfort them, and he was trying to clarify something for them. You see, our society has taken Jesus' statement here, and for the sake of political correctness, correctness has said that that is too exclusive, that it is so exclusive. It can't be that there's only one way to God. It can't be that there's only one way to heaven. Our society has taken that statement, and they've twisted it, and they've turned it around. But I want you to capture this. Jesus made that statement at a point of crisis in his followers' life. He meant it to comfort them. He meant it to clarify exactly the path to God, and that was through him. He didn't make that statement for the shock of it. He didn't make that statement for the shock value. He didn't make it because he knew that it would excite people. He made it because it was truth. He made it because it was real, and he made it to help comfort and clarify. He didn't make it for shock value. It is an exclusive statement, but it is true. And he made the statement to help his disciples be comforted. Does that sound exclusive and small-minded to you? It sure doesn't to me. It sounds like Jesus wanted them to understand that he was the way to the Father. Our society wants many ways to heaven. We want many paths to God. But Jesus said there's only one. There's only one path to God. Our society wants many ways to get to God and to get to heaven. But what if heaven were like that? What if there were many paths to heaven? Well, I want to submit to you this morning that heaven would not be what it is. It wouldn't be paradise with God the Father if there were multiple ways to heaven. If we didn't have a need that God fulfilled through Jesus, through the sacrifice of his son, Heaven wouldn't be heaven, but God provided it. He knew man needed it, and he did it in a way, he did it in a way that we as humans can understand and get our minds around. Eternity with God is open to each one of us if we will follow what he said when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I want you to take out your notes this morning. We're going to use this as a guide as we walk through these statements or this statement this morning. We're going to use it as a guide in our study this morning. I want to hit our first key statement. It's the bottom line of the message this morning, and it's this. Jesus' claim to be the way, the truth, and the life specifies that there's no other way to be saved than through a relationship with God. A belief that the story of redemption is true and an abandonment of our lives to him. Jesus' claim to be the way, the truth, and the life specifies that there's no other way to be saved than through a relationship with God, a belief that the story of redemption is true, and the abandonment of our lives to him. Let's dive into our notes this morning. By stating that he was the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus revealed that humanity finds reconciliation with God through a person, not a path, and therefore I must seek him out. Jesus reveals that humanity finds reconciliation with God through a person and not a path. Jesus said, I am the way. In in adding that one little phrase there, the way, and he would have said it in a way that they would have understood it in the original language, that it was the only way. Jesus didn't say that I am a way, that I am a possible way to God the Father. He said that I am the way to God. Now remember, he's saying it to comfort them. 
He's saying it to clarify them, and he's saying it to give them peace. Jesus is the way to God. In a moment when he sensed their trouble, he made that dramatic statement, I am the way to God the Father. But since he is the way to God the Father, it tells us that the way to God the Father is through a relationship with Christ. Not a path, not a formula, not some kind of equation. It's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're under 18, you may not quite understand this, but those of us who are over about 18 in this room, remember a day that if you had to go from point A to point B, you used something called a map, okay? There was something that existed. Rand McNally, look it up, Google it sometime. If you're under 18 years old, you'll figure it out. There was something in, in society, in, in humanity, called a map years ago, and those of us who are over 18, we used to use it to get from point A to point B. Back in the old days, they used a rudimentary map, and they even used this thing called a compass. And as time went on, uh, the internet came into being, and we used MapQuest, and we would get out directions. You remember printing out directions from point A to point B? And then all of a sudden, we had this thing called GPS. Oh, and GPS, great. Came out about 10 years ago, but GPS, basically 10 years ago, was just a picture of a map, Right? And then the companies got really smart. What did they add to GPS to make it so incredibly personal? A voice. A lady's voice. That's so soothing, right, guys? They understood, they understood that there needed to be a personality put to finding a path. God understood this way before time even began, that we would need a person, not a path. You see, all the other religions provide a path, a philosophy, a formula. But God provided in sending his son a person that each one of you and I can have a personal relationship with. He provided a person, not a path. Donald Miller in his book that came out a few years ago called Blue Like Jazz describes his own finding God. And it's quite a path. It's an amazing story. And in it, he describes one lady, a lady by the name of Penny, who he helped, uh, find, uh, helped her find God through Jesus also. And it's interesting, she's describing this relationship she has with another lady who's helping her also find God through Jesus. And she explains to Donald Miller, who wrote this book called Blue Like Jazz, what she went through. Listen to these words from Penny. We started, she's talking about she and this other lady, we started reading through Matthew. And I thought... You know, it was all very interesting. And I found Jesus very disturbing, very straightforward. He wasn't diplomatic. And yet I felt like if I met him, he would really like me. You see, God's Holy Spirit began working in Penny's heart, and she realized that the way to God was not through a formula. It was through a person. And each one of you can have that kind of personal relationship with Jesus also. She goes on and she says, Don, I can't explain how freeing that was for me to realize that if I met Jesus, he would like me. You in here today and you feel like you're not liked by a lot of people? We've all been there, haven't we? Jesus likes you. He wants to have a personal relationship with you, regardless of your past, regardless of what you're hanging on to, regardless of what you've been through. In her newfound faith, Penny found out that Jesus was the way to God and that he was a person 
and that she could have a personal walk with him. Isaiah predicted all the way back in the Old Testament that Jesus would would provide a highway to God. But Jesus, when he said, I am the way, essentially what he said is, I am that highway. He is the path to God. Listen to how Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, describes it to those Jewish followers, those Jewish uh, Christians now. Hebrews 10, 19 through 21 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. We talked last week about how the temple in the Jewish religion was a place where there were distinct areas. And there was a place called the holy place, which there were some priests that could go into the holy place. But the holy of holies where God existed where the Ark of the Covenant sat, where the Shekinah glory, God himself dwelled in the Holy of Holies. And only one time a year, you remember that last week, only one time a year could the high priest go in and confess on behalf of the nation of Israel their sins. Well, what Hebrews is saying here is that curtain that separates the holy place from the Holy of Holies, that curtain essentially is what Jesus is. His body as he hung there on the cross, bleeding and beaten, just beaten up, was literally opened up. And it was our path to God. And he went through that pain, and he went through that suffering for me and for you and for our sins and for the sins of humanity. So what's your response to the fact that Jesus is the way? Well, it's this. You don't have to do this and that. You don't have to make up stuff. You don't have to obey all these rules and follow all these paths. All you need to do is seek Jesus out. Follow him. You want to seek him out today? You want to seek him? Secondly, by stating that he was the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus revealed that humanity finds reconciliation with God through faith, not emotion. Therefore, I must believe. Humanity finds reconciliation with God through faith, not emotion. Therefore, I must believe. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So much of what society has given us, so much of what the world has given us with philosophy and with religion is based on emotion. It's based on feeling. How would I feel about that? And because of that, man has made up thousands of different religions, haven't we? If you ask ask experts, they'll tell you there's about 20 to 21 major religions that exist in the world. But there are thousands of other religions that we make up trying to find God trying to seek after him. Think about it. It's all based on emotion. Buddhism says that the purpose of man is to avoid suffering and gain enlightenment and a release from the cycle of rebirth or at least attain a better rebirth by gaining merit. And its ultimate goal is reincarnation. I don't know about you. I do not want to be reincarnated. (laughs) That's what Buddhism says. And it's largely based on emotion. Scientology says that the human body, mind, and spirit is capable of great things if we'll just empty our minds of evil. New Age says that the purpose of man is a state of heightened consciousness. I'm telling you, I can't get there. And, wait a minute, international peace. And my purpose is not to make fun of these, but my purpose is to point out that they're based on emotion. That all sounds great, doesn't it? But it's not based on truth. Veritas. I love that word. Jesus said it there. 
Pilate asked him, what is truth? Man's been grappling with that question from the beginning of time. And Jesus says, I am the truth. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to what? Death. To death. We try to come up with philosophies and religions and schools of thought, and in the end, all it does is lead to death, but Jesus is, doesn't have, doesn't contain, didn't come to deliver. He is the truth. He is the truth. We as humans spend our lives and our fortunes and our educations trying to find the truth, and Jesus is right there waiting for us, saying, I am the truth. You know, we tend to ignore truth sometimes, don't we? We ignore the truth, and what happens when we ignore the truth is we begin to buy into the lie. When I was in seventh grade, um, I got a D on a book report that I put together at the last minute. And in my house, you did not get Ds. Anybody else grow up like that? Anyway, you did not get Ds in my house. And so I got that book report, and you know what I did? That big red D on the front of that thing, I turned it into a B. It was real easy. <laughs> Add another loop right at the top. As sloppy as the book report was, it's as sloppy as I turned the D into a B. And I put it in my desk, and I had five days to have my parents sign that. If you got a D or below, you had to have your parents sign stuff. I wanted them to see that it was a B. And as the week went on, there was something that began to happen in my little seven-year-old mind, or seventh-grade mind. I began to believe that it was a B. I began to believe that this was not, I did, there's no way I couldn't have gotten a D. Can't be. That's what we do when we ignore the truth, isn't it? That's what we do when we ignore the word of God, when he says, I am the truth. My parents found out about it, by the way. They knew right away. Why would I have to have a paper signed that was a B? They knew about it, and I got in a whole world of hurt, whole world of trouble. <laughs> I want you to hear me this morning, Christ follower. If you're having trouble discerning what the truth is, if you're going through a period of time like Thomas did with doubt, if you've become a skeptic, ask God to help you understand the truth. Listen to the words of John 16, 13. He can help you with this. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He can lead you into truth if you're becoming a skeptic. He can guide you into that. So my question is today, what do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the truth? Lastly, by stating that he was the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus revealed that humanity finds reconciliation with God through his life, not my life. So I must let go. This is the hard part. This is the difficult part of salvation. This is the difficult part of the faith journey. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And on Easter Sunday, we're going to be talking about life and what that word means. But what I want to do today is I want to contrast our lives versus life in Christ. You see, our lives is based on what we want. It's based on our goals, our ambitions, our dreams, our hopes, our futures. And what God says is that when we follow Jesus, we make the decision to end all of that and to follow him. My question to you this morning is, are you really doing that? Now, it doesn't mean that all of these dreams go away, but when you die to that, when you die to your life, and when you follow his life, then all of a sudden, it becomes his dreams and his future 
and his career and his path and not yours. Matthew 10, 39 says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's not hard to, it's not easy to understand, is it? It's counterculture. It's counterintuitive. We can't really get our minds around that. But Jesus said, I am the life. If you're in here today and you're frustrated with the way things are going in your life and you haven't really been following him, die to your life and accept the life that he gives. Because when we have our dreams and when we have our hopes and when we have our futures, we're going to fall woefully short when it's not following him. We're going to fall woefully short of accomplishing everything that we want. We have to abandon ourselves to him. And when we do that, it's like giving up our lives to accept him. Paul describes it this way in Galatians 2.20 to the churches in the area of Galatia. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He describes it as I have been crucified with Christ. And some of you today, yeah, you accept Jesus as the way, you accept him as the truth, but maybe you haven't give, given up the stuff of your life to him. And maybe it's time to do that this morning. Maybe it's time for you to say, I'm going to crucify my dreams, my goals, my ambitions, and my hopes so that I can truly follow him. So I want to ask you a couple questions this morning as we conclude. I want to ask you some very personal questions. This is between you and God. It's not between you and your wives or your husbands or you and me. It's between you and God. Have you sought out Jesus for your way to God? Yes or no? Have you sought out Jesus as your way to God? Just simple yes or no. Secondly, have you believed that he is the truth? Yes or no? Have you made that decision to believe that he is the truth? And then lastly, have you let go of your own life? Yes or no? If you answered no to any of those questions, here in a few minutes, I want to invite you to be able to say yes, to be able to truly, maybe for some of you, it's the first time in your life you've ever accepted Christ as your Savior. And you want to say yes to the fact that Jesus is your way, your truth, and your life. Maybe some of you are in here today and you're like, yes, I believe in my heart. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I know I'm going to heaven, but Todd, I'm, I just need to recommit that. Man, I've been straying from that. I've been going a long way off of his plan for my life. Maybe for you, it's a time of recommitment. And then for some of you, maybe it's just a time of reaffirming your faith. Maybe it's a time of remembering all that Christ did for you when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Father, thank you for the I am statement that you made that night, that Thursday night, God, as you were celebrating the Passover meal with your closest followers. And thank you, God, that you gave us eternal life. God, thank you that you loved me, you loved humanity enough to give up your son, your one and only son so that we can have eternal life. God, you paid it all for our sins. You took all of that on the cross. And if we just put our trust in you, we can today say, yeah, you are my way, my truth, and my life.
If you're in here today and you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, if you want to maybe get this right or maybe you've tried it in the past and didn't really know what you were doing, but today you say, man, I understand it. Just in the quietness of this place with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to say a simple prayer. I'm just going to invite you to say that prayer the best way you know how between you and God. It goes something like this. Jesus, thank you for being the way, the truth, and the life. Today, I realize I'm a sinner. And today, I accept you as my Savior. I confess of my sins, and I receive the free gift of salvation. Help me to have the power to live for you. Now, if you prayed that prayer, whether it was a recommitment or whether it was the first time in your life, I'm just going to ask you to look up at me. Just simply look up at me. Anyone? Amen. Amen. Any others this morning? First time, a recommitment. Say amen. Any others? Any others this morning? Make a recommitment or ask Christ to be your Savior for the first time. Father God, thank you so much for the decisions that were made this morning. Thank you so much for the decisions for you. God, whether it was a renewed understanding, whether it was a renewed commitment, or God, whether it was that first time of saying, you know what, I want to be a Christ follower. I want to say yes to the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. God, I pray that you would help anchor these commitments deep in you. Help those who are in here who made commitments this morning to seek you out with all of their hearts. Your word says in Matthew to seek first your kingdom and then all these things will be added unto you. God, help us to do that. Help us to do it in our careers. Help us to do that in our relationships. Help us to do that in our families. And God, this Easter, Easter 2012, I pray that you would give us, the believers here on Hilton Head Island, the power and the confidence and the security to be able to tell others about that great news, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you, God, for dying on the cross for us and for giving us abundant life in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.